Hello, and I hope that you are doing well. Welcome back to Self Center, a research project slash interview series slash podcast about the philosophy of selfhood within which I am trying to locate, identify, and define the center of the self or just the self in general as a cohesive unit. Um, My name is Melissa and today I'm going to be talking about the intersection of career and selfhood as a sort of extension of the introduction that I painted. Um, And in that introductory episode, I tried to sketch out a picture of two different lines of thinking about the self, um, which will be relevant throughout the entirety of this project. Um, And those are selfhood as something you decisively construct and selfhood as something innate with which you try to connect or align. And you might not agree that these are complete opposites. Um, You know, that could be a discussion, but for the purposes of my um, presentation, they are going to be viewed as, you know, one or the other, or maybe neither. But these are, you know, the two ends of the binary spectrum that I'm trying to paint. So, Both of these conceptions, as I have said, come with their own pros, cons. They're each reasonable and unreasonable in their own ways. Um, But either way in which you might lean, we all pretty much have some foundational agreements about the self. Um, Bluntly, we all agree that we are ourselves. Thus, we all agree that we have some semblance of a self. And it is basically through consciousness that we identify these selves even though we might assign selfhood to inanimate objects sometimes but we pretty much derive our senses of self through the knowledge that we have consciousnesses and given the societal umbrella under which we all exist um, you know the existence of other people depends on our presumption that they are conscious that we're not in our own you know Truman show that everyone else has a sort of consciousness around us and there's a lot of jobs and you know social placements that require conscious actors in order for them to be produced so I think we would all agree um, that our senses of self have some interaction with our careers and our life choices in different ways shapes and forms um So, taking a focus on the relationship of career to self, um, there are a lot of factors which pile on when you choose one self-pathway or the other, namely the ones I mentioned, self as created in relationship to career and self as found in relationship to career. So, first, I'm going to go with the second one that I just mentioned, which would be contemplating if the self is an authentic being dormant within the body that can be found. So I'm going to be trying to outline connections of that to career. Um, So that is where I'm going right now. So we could say under this sort of view that career is a way of enhancing the self or could be a way of enhancing the self um, by enabling you to bring the latent self into light. So this might obviously agree more with the idea of selfhood as innate rather than constructed. You might have some internal predisposition, um, as a part of your internal authentic selfhood towards something like art and then by becoming an artist you become that more concrete version of yourself you bring into fruition or fortify that authentic incorporeal part of yourself that wants to be you know fortified and brought into external means so that would be to say that you are your role in that as a 
actor is aligning your reality more with your authentic innate self. But I just want to point out that this is still falling victim to one of the potential objections that I listed in the introduction, which would be you're splitting the self up into parts. Yourself is the creator of your ideal self and also the actor through which that ideal self is brought into light. So it is definitely not a super simple way of phrasing that, but that's basically where career comes in. Career would be some mechanism through which your authentic self would be brought into light. But on the other hand, um, you know, it's subjective and dependent because career could just as easily be a distancing mechanism between your self as a reality and yourself as an authentic, innate, incorporeal, you know, guide or being. Um, say if you have a passion which you're not allowed to follow given financial restrictions other obstacles career might only be you know a further thing in divisiveness between your authentic self and that opposed less authentic reality um this is compounded of course by the sheer amount of time that a career often takes up in one's life and one's schedule um we all are aware that at least in you know American capitalism, a full-time job requires 40 hours a week. And there are so many people who you know work multiple jobs, perhaps have some sort of less scheduled job. Um, and this takes up more of their time, their work. Um, even to say in like modern society, there are you know influencers, celebrities who are a huge part of our culture. And because they're sort of a personality as an income um they are often like walking advertisements um which is not to say their job is in any way more difficult than others necessarily but just they're a good example of how a sense of self could easily become warped when humanity of a person merges into a sort of brand and a sort of financial opportunity um but honestly it's a pretty similar concept when working a retail job or anything like that because when you're on the clock, you're more of a force of salesmanship, brand empowerment, customer service, rather than your authentic self. You're acting more on script of that, what's entailed by that work fulfillment, rather than, you know, how you might authentically react in certain conversations or situations. Um, and on some scale, this even happens with any, any job, like being a parent, um, being a doctor, because you're conforming to a role. And that might seem, you know, like an overstatement to some people. And it's certainly true that we all switch in between certain modes of behaving to mold to our situations outside of work as well, you know, in relationships, friendships, group settings, academic set settings, you know, whatever it might be. But I'm just trying to say here that by working a full-time job that entails performance at least 40 hours of your week, you're certainly losing out on time that you could be spent trying to connect to that more authentic selfhood. And this is constrained, obviously, by things like class. Um, who has the luxury of participating in deeper self-actualization? What are the requirements for deep, deep self-actualization, etc.? So not to sort of make too much of a leap, but I do want to talk about a paper by philosopher Martha Nussbaum which is entitled From Reason or From Prejudice. And in this piece of work, she is talking about the societal condemnation or stigmatization around sex work. Obviously, there is a very nuanced conversation around sex work, and I would recommend watching the TED Talk by Juno Mack 
entitled What Do Sex Workers Want? If you're interested in pursuing that subject more fully, um, because that is not particularly where I'm going today. But I bring Martha Nussbaum up in this paper up because of its relevance and her focus on the concept of taking money for bodily services. And as a foundational concept, she uses this to draw attention to the fact that almost all careers in our current systems depend on physical labor, or at the very least, some sort of physical and bodily presence as a source of income. So physical labor and physical, you know, the use of the body is transactional in almost every career that we have to offer in this system. So basically for her purposes, she uses this to say that there could be people involved in sex work who do not want to be involved in sex work and do so for financial means, which is, you know, obviously not ideal, but there could also be people, you know, in other labor positions who are doing it for money and are not happy about what they're doing, but they're not shamed with the same force as those who are using sex work, basically to say that, you know, sex workers are victim to a lot of other social stigmas and a lot of other social prejudices under the guise that they're, that society is worried about their work. So Nussbaum's paper, from my understanding of it, basically forces the reconsideration of the sex work stigma um, because of the root foundational concept of work as selling's one, selling one's body um, is not different than the majority of other careers under, you know, the class society that we're in. So obviously that is different than career in general, but I bring that up to focus on the ramifications of Nussbaum's concept of taking money for bodily services on career and self. Um, because you would think that anyone who has to employ their body in a way about which they're, you know, not thrilled or not happy suffers in terms of their ability to clearly outline and clearly manifest their sense of self or to achieve the self they might have sketched out in their ideal creation if we were to, you know, follow more of the other side of the binary by which self is a created product that your decisions act on. So I'm going to go further into that. Um, because going back to our original binary, if we were to say that self is ever-changing, product of the decisions we make, a construction, a construction, a project, you know, whatever verbiage you want to use, um, it seems pretty intuitive by that belief that your selfhood would be shaped, at least in part, by your career. Um, and your career, for some people, is a choice. For other people, it's more of, you know, a means for survival and not as much of a choice or not as much of a passion project. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, personality as a source of income, which is pretty sensible for people who their livelihood pretty much depends on their being in the public eye, such as entertainers, celebrities, talk show hosts, you know, something like that. I'm trying to get at through the bringing up of those people that sense of self and career become extremely intertwined. Um, so my question for today is to sort of unpack what selfhood might look like without career, um, because selfhood can become so contingent on career. And for someone whose passion is not financially sustainable or who does not have the opportunity to financially pursue their dream, perhaps selfhood would remain the same without career because career is more of a mechanism for survival or something like that, or just a financial thing, um, so maybe without career, there would even be an enhancement to that selfhood. There would be, you know, a more a vibrant expression of that selfhood, which is untainted by, you know, financial means. 
But for someone who might have found personal success in their career and thus wrapped up a lot of their sense of self within that career, say, you know, maybe a teacher who's extremely passionate about what they do or a singer whose art is very important to them or, you know, anyone who has truly found joy in what they do, the loss of that career might result in a huge blow to their sense of self, um, especially when careers involve a sort of title, like someone who's a CEO might have a lot of an egotistical boost based off of that, um, you know. So we're going to get into some interviews, questions, answers about how this works in the real world for different people, psychologically and philosophically with, you know, stories and like perspectives. But first, I just want to sketch out a few more different philosophical concepts, which are extremely relevant to this. And I find to be integral to understanding what I want to get at through these interviews and conversations. So first, as we talk about transitions of self um, via career changes and varying senses of selfhood under different careers, the underlying concept at which I'm getting at is change. So I want to bring up a philosophy of change under Aristotle, which is basically that any change which occurs requires three sort of ingredients, which would be one subject and two contraries. So this makes sense if you think about it in this way. Change does not happen randomly or sporadically in terms of its beginning and its end. You could say that an orange goes from ripe to unripe. So ripe and unripe would be the two contraries. You could say that a person goes from short to tall. So short and tall would be the two contraries. Um, And the subject would be the thing in which that change occurs. So the orange would be the subject and the contraries would be ripe and unripe. And the subject is moving between the contraries as the orange is moving between ripe and unripe. Um, Likewise, the person is the subject which moves from short to tall. And this Aristotle would call an accidental change. Not in that it necessarily happens by accident, but more so in that the change does not make changes to the essence of the subject. Um, I'm going to try to avoid getting like super overly wordy here, but the subject is what persists through the change. So the orange is still itself. It's just exchanged the qualities of ripe for unripe or vice versa. So the orange is not changing in identity and selfhood and consistency. It's just an accidental feature of the orange is changing. You could say, Not that this necessarily happens by accident, but accidentally is just the term that we're using. You could say the orange is accidentally ripe or it's accidentally unripe. And it could still be, it could change or exchange either one of those qualities for the other without undergoing a fundamental change to what it is essentially or necessarily. So on the other hand, Aristotle organizes a different type of change in which a substance comes into existence. So This he would call essential change. Um, You might want to call it substantive change, something like that. In any case, it is more drastic. Um, So just to recap, an accidental change, the subject is there at the beginning and it's there at the end. It only has to move between two contraries, as in the orange existing, whether it is ripe or unripe. In an essential change, which is the second type of change that I'm introducing right now, a subject is coming into being. So this would be like an orange moving, not necessarily, but you could think of it like this, that the contraries would be not existing and existing. And the orange is moving from not existing to existing. But the orange, when it doesn't exist, can not really be a subject because it doesn't exist. 
So obviously I know this is kind of confusing, but he breaks this down by saying that since matter cannot be created or destroyed, an essential change is when matter is simply being reorganized into a new force. But basically something new is coming to be. So there is potential to be something and then it becomes something. So you could say there is no orange and there is an orange. Like I said, I know that can get very meta, but for my purposes today, I just want to bring that up in order to consider whether or not career would fall into this first accidental or second essential category of change. Is becoming an artist simply an act of the same individual moving between the contraries of artist and non-artist and there's a person that persists through it all? Or would it be something more significant, you could say like a new person coming into invention with this new career? Um, So that's something that we're going to be exploring. And along the same vein, there is another idea by David Hume, which speaks of constant conjunction, through which we come to associate things that may not be related, or at least whose relation to one another is not or cannot be necessarily proven. Constant conjunction in simple terms can just refer to things which are commonly seen or perceived together. Like if you heard a bird sing every time you opened a door, for example, you would come to associate opening a door with a bird singing and come to expect that to happen, even if those things were purely coincidental. Um, And there's plenty of things that you expect to happen in certain circumstances, um, even if you can't necessarily prove the connective link or the causal link between those two. Um, Namely, there's that experiment where the dog associates eating with ringing a bell and comes to salivate every time there's a bell rang even if it has nothing to do with food. Um, And that's a sort of conditioning, but it's relevant to questions of career because of what I had mentioned before, which is the sheer amount of time and societal importance which is placed on and around career. For example, a person who practices law or is a lawyer spends so much of their time doing that work and identifying with that work, and they probably meet different people, and the first thing that they're asked is, what do you do? And they come to, you know, that response is almost ingrained to say, I'm a lawyer, or I'm this, or I'm that. So by way of constant conjunction, they come to see themselves through this light of career. You know, that's how they're seen. That's how they identify. Um, But the question, you know, that I think we should focus on for these purposes today is how much does this tell you about the person and about how well that person knows their sense of self independently of that career? Because the philosophical self, like I've tried to talk about, is so non-physical it's so complicated to identify how something that is not physically located within the body can have an effect on the body how it can be integrated within the body how it can influence the body how it can relate to the body um so i think it would be pretty reductive to claim that that is simply a product of career or that career is you know that Um, Because I don't think that everyone's purpose lies within a career, even independently of this conversation. So yeah, basically, I understand that by responding and saying, I'm a lawyer in certain situations, you're not necessarily making a declaration that you identify only as a lawyer and that you have no other semblance of self. Like, obviously, I get that. But I just want to point out like the, I guess, hyper exposure of career to self and how we can you know, work on identifying the philosophical self independently of career and how the philosophical self might become entwined with career. Okay, I also want to, you know, in broader strokes, discuss 
the idea of material means as a path to self because especially in our you know social systems it's pretty impossible to discuss career without financial consequences and a lot of the I guess point or motivation or drive to certain careers is because of the foreseen financial you know consequences or financial I guess benefits of that career so again I want to return to Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics um which I talked about before because he talked about happiness as, you know, and the solution of an addition problem between happiness as an internal thing and happiness as an external thing, which is, you know, a pretty reductive way to talk about, you know, the very nuance and meta thing he discusses. But that was how I mentioned it before with the example of Priam. And today I'm going to talk about how he considers wealth to be a vehicular good which means that wealth is only a means to an end, but happiness is the only true end that would be pursued in and because only because of itself. So wealth is pursued for what it can lead to versus happiness is pursued because it is the ultimate good because it's happiness. So if we were to reduce that a little bit, he's, you know, kind of agreeing with the common cliche that money can't buy you happiness obviously this is a different way of getting at that and a little bit more substantive but he says that a person who has experienced extreme trauma or loss in their real circumstances again using the example of priam from the ancient greek myth of troy cannot be happy even with the material means to doing so So when we talk about the impact of career on selfhood, career can certainly help enhance certain aspects of a self, but a self cannot be built entirely from career. Happiness cannot be built entirely from financial means, um, even if financial means might be a gateway to more opportunities at happiness, which I would certainly agree is possible under, you know, the system that we're in. So I know that this has been a little bit of a wordy and lengthy introduction. Um, What I want to keep in mind is the Aristotle conception of change as um, change as a product of a subject and two contraries or change as the product of a new substance coming into being. Um, So that's sort of the first question that we're going to work with. Um, There's also David Hume's constant conjunction. And then there's Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics that wealth cannot be pursued in and of because itself even if you are chasing wealth you're chasing you know the social opportunities that you would get by being wealthy or the happiness that you could get by not having to worry about money things like that so yeah i understand that those are kind of a lot but thank you for bearing with me um we will now get into some interviews and some hands-on experiences about this sort of subject um Thank you to the people who graciously donated their time to me into this episode. And I just want to remind as we um, move into this to keep in mind the initial binary. I know I've talked about a lot of things, but at root, we're still talking about the same thing, which is, is the self created or is the self located? And in either conception, how does career play a role? Because I believe that career has a role, whichever you know pathway you want to choose. So now let's get into some questions. So, unfortunately, this episode suffered from a loss of audio recording, which took out um, a pretty substantial and pretty much all of the chunk of the interview portion, um, which is very sad. 
um, and it's pretty choppy and difficult to understand now. So what I'm going to do is highlight um, a few of the concepts which came up in discussion and just sort of summarize what was talked about um, for the purposes of not sacrificing all this episode because I think there's still value in it. Um, and I also was able to read some more um, in trying to generate something to say um, without the interviews. Um, and so I found another neat concept, which is called social cognitive career theory. Um, and the definition that I'm using is from a peer-reviewed article by Samuel Kaminsky and Tara Berend. Um, so social cognitive career theory um, is a framework they're using for their own study. Um, and it's basically the idea that individuals feel a sense of calling towards a career or fields. Um, based on their unique cognition or unique socialization. Um, and the study by Kaminsky and Berend evaluates the extent to which this feeling of calling actually relates to career goals and outcomes that are more measurable and tangible. Um, and so what they found is that the feeling of calling um, is one sensation amongst another feeling or possession of self-efficacy and they say that while a calling might lead someone towards a passion more than a sense of self-efficiency would, it is self-efficacy that leads someone towards goals rather than a feeling of calling that leads someone towards goals. So this is an interesting paradigm, and these are interesting terms for my purposes because a sensation of calling aligns with the idea of selfhood as innate, and perhaps this innate self makes itself manifest and known and makes itself more present through the production of a feeling of passion or of being tethered to a passion or of belonging in some field or community. And the idea of self-efficacy or the ability to discipline and motivate oneself with regard to a specific output represents an idea that is more like that of selfhood as a project so perhaps it is more sustainable and suitable for work as an employee um, under the view of the employer to believe that self is itself another piece of work um, and that you have the control and ability and even necessarily the responsibility under certain employers to shape and mold your sense of self around being a good worker or around being motivated by your career um, and that's not to say that that's a view that I necessarily agree with, but I think that it's understandable how self-efficacy and self-motivation um, could be morphed into making yourself this career-oriented, career prioritization um, person. Um, but I do want to return to the idea that there's a distinction between yourself as a worker and yourself as a person, which was a pretty major um, highlight of the interviews that I did and talking about work as kind of a performance. Um, and I think this is intuitive to people, especially people who work jobs that don't align with their passion or who work jobs um, at times when they would rather be doing something else or who work jobs that in general they would rather not be doing. Um, and one interview that I had that I wish I could play right now, um, but unfortunately was lost, was about how getting off the clock is almost too in your face of a metaphor for exchanging a performance of self in customer service to a more authentic selfhood with which you go home or see family or hang out with friends or just even take off your uniform, et cetera. Um, but it's also worth noting how many people um, who experience unemployment um, experience um, correlated 
and major identity crises. Um, so for a lot of people, maybe this job is the thing which is stringing their identity and sense of self together rather than um, destroying it. Um, but I think there are a few explanations for why this may be this phenomenon of um, unemployment being the source of identity crisis. Um, a, perhaps someone has never had so much uninterrupted time without structure and without order in their life before. Say someone who was pipelined straight through school into career, et cetera. Um, and this sends them, you know, into a sort of grieving period or a feeling like they do not know themselves and the sort of identity crisis that comes with that. And they need to pour themselves into something or they feel like they need the structure that a career offers. Um, but I think perhaps with more time and obviously dependent on the person, this could be a self-healing wound um, that could blossom into a more awakened experience of selfhood or a more stoic um, experience of selfhood. But B, and I think pretty importantly, unemployment also carries um, the obvious difficulties in terms of its financial element, um, which is so present and can be so life-altering that it's pretty impossible to separate the importance of career as a specific and legitimate outlet for self-expression and self-development from the importance of career as a means for staying alive. And so it's difficult to criticize and be like, oh, people who are unemployed are experiencing an, are experiencing an identity crisis just because um, this is this would be good for them, and they need they need this period of time to sort of work on themselves. Um, when for a lot of people, unemployment is not um, an experience of self discovery. It's a loss of the very means through which they're financially funding their experience and their life, and other people who depend on them. Um, which is not to say that I think it should be such that way or that I endorse that, but I just think that. Um, it's difficult to note that um, the root of the unemployment identity crisis um, when livelihood is the product of career. Um, and back to the idea of work as a performance, because that was really the main thrust of the interviews that I did. Um, I think it's impossible to talk about how self is reflected in a career and in the active participation in a career without also talking about how self itself is a performance. Um, and while career might be a performance, it's also difficult even to detach from the performance of self when you're alone without a career um, or when you're alone with a career, but perhaps not actively engaged in that career. Um, like even when you're in your room at home making dinner by yourself, for example, social elements of what is normal, how time should be sent, how time should be spent and how behavior should look are present and are formative to how you act, feel, and think um, and how you present yourself to the world when you um, leave that alone space. So I think the question is, does this suggest that self is buried under layers of socialization and we're all actors under the social umbrella? And if so, how do we stop that? And um, with regard to the concepts that I brought up in the beginning of the episode, like constant conjunction and Aristotle's theories of change, um, I think that the answer is pretty inconclusive because career does not have one manifestation. And I think maybe the traditional sense of like a nine to five um, where someone is working full time and working under, you know, a boss in a cubicle, for example, like maybe we could 
try to make generalizations about that, which even I think might be kind of difficult. Um, but I think with the emergence of social media, new careers are being built and just there are so many different um, types of careers that I think it's difficult to make any like broad reaching claims about how self and career interact. Um, but I do think that element of performance um, is sort of stretched through all of this. Um, and so the question becomes like, how can we sort of try to stab at that performance and unbury it from within itself? Um, and so where we go next in the podcast will be towards spirituality as an attempt to unbury authenticity from beneath performance and to unbury the root of selfhood and the origins of the self um, from, you know, the clutter of the day-to-day -day or of the societal umbrella. Um, and once we talk about spirituality, we can also move on to like therapies and empathy and you know, how one relates strictly within the self and how one relates outside of the self. Um, and so again, I am sorry that this episode could not feature the interviews that I wish it could. And I am very bummed about that. Um, but I hope it was still informative in some capacity. And the next episode, I promise, will not just be me talking. So I will see you next time. And thank you so much for listening. And yeah, I hope that you listen again next week.